Welcome to Two Priests Talking, a podcast where two Anglican priests sit down to talk about our current cultural moment and how we might live as faithful Christians in the midst of it. I'm Father Aaron Wright. I am the rector here at Old North Abbey Anglican Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I am one of Two Priests Talking. Our hope is to bring you conversations about reasonable faith in what seems to be less than reasonable times. And I'm Father Nick Hamilton, the Associate Rector here at Old North Abbey, and we are Two Priests Talking. Okay, we're recording now. Do we want to talk about the elephant in the room? <laughs> What's he? <laughs> like the, looking around. The, the fact that it's really difficult to um, not look at yourself in the computer screen when you're recording. That's that's part of the difficulty of doing this whole video podcast thing. When it was just you and me in the sanctuary, like we didn't have the temptation of <laughs> <laughs> look, looking at ourselves. And you didn't really care how you looked. In fact, you know, nobody knew that I wasn't wearing clericals, for instance. That's right. And today, mm-hmm. you're not either. I know. I left the house early and totally forgot that you to were grab a, a priest, a clerical. I grabbed my collar. I thought my shirt was hanging up here. Oh, you should have told me. I could have brought you That's uh, all right. one of my shirts. Well, it worked out okay because today we are going to uh, engage with a little bit different format. And as a result, I'm going to be interviewing Father Aaron. Uh, because we were talking about this, we've got a couple of interviews on deck that we're excited to put out here in a little bit for you guys to listen yeah, really to. Fun. Um, and as we were considering that, we were talking about how we feel like listeners have a sense of who we are just from our banter and hearing us talk about random nonsense. But at the same time, we haven't had a chance to talk about our own particular journeys, whether that's into faith, Sure. Or into Anglicanism or into marriage and into being a father, uh, both within the church and within life and all those different pieces. And so, ooh. I told you, I told you, this is going to keep happening. Look at yourself right there. See that down there? I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so we thought, well, let's spend some time getting to know Father Aaron and... A little bit of the story. The story, right. Yeah. And so, and, and you as well. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. We're um, going to interview you. We're just going to halfway through. We'll just change We'll shirts. just change shirts. And then uh, we thought um, that would just be a good way to kind of get some of this interview series going. That's uh, yeah, fun. Yeah, we've got a couple of local priests who we really enjoy that we're hoping are going to come on. And, yeah, we've, and we've interviewed... Uh, the Archbishop. The Archbishop, and we'll get that one out here in a little bit. And So it's just exciting. It so is. how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah? Yeah. Um, You've had a lot going on. I have, but it's it, school is back in. Yeah. Uh, and so Which today, is good for you. <clears throat> I love school. <laughs> I have great kids, but um, yesterday was a half day. It was their first day. It was yesterday. That's and right. Today was a, is their first full day. I was telling, we had a vestry meeting last night, and I was telling everybody, um, you have all these ideas about what you can accomplish once your kids get to school. Sure. And 
it's true, but yesterday was a half day. So I was like, yes. So I go, you know, drop them off. I start doing stuff and I look down. I'm like, I got to pick them up in 30 minutes. That's right. So, um, but today's a, a full day. So it'll be uh, a full day. A full, kids a full day. A full day of work with a little bit of podcast in the mix. That's right. That's right. Um, well, that's good. So, hey, I want to start by going backward in time. A little bit of time travel here. Back to the future. Uh, back to the future. 1.21 gigawatts. And uh, you're a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. You grew up in a home. Did you think I'd go that far back? Uh, sure. With, yeah. with your dad as a pastor. And so I'm curious... Just kind of as you think about your life and you think about your own journey into faith, what were some of your first memories of church and life in the church? Uh, Yeah, let's start there. Sure. Well, I remember being born. (laughs) Okay, that's right. Was that a traumatic moment? Yes. Yes. Um, You know, my earliest memories of of family and church life. It's interesting. It, it, it was when my dad was in seminary. Huh. So, and those memories are not that um, profound, but I remember being immersed um, around other seminary students. Sure. Um, I don't remember any of my church life in those years, but I do remember being um, at seminary with mom, I was very young when we moved there. I was like five months and we moved away when I was three, but I always remember, uh, that those are the, some of those really interesting core memories of, of childhood. When we moved to Fairhope, Alabama. Okay. So w- yeah. where was seminary? Oh, it was, in, it was in Anderson, Indiana. Anderson, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in the church of God right out of Anderson, Indiana. Church of God, Anderson. That's right. As opposed to church, church of, of God, God Cleveland. Cleveland. Uh, so we I come Cleveland, out of, Tennessee, right? Yeah, that's right. That's I right. Come out of the just south. I come out of the um, uh, it's a non-Pentecostal Church of God. So it's like half Wesleyan and like half Anabaptist in this really interesting thing. Okay. And um, like Sandy Patty, Bill Gaither, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, those are some of those those popular names. But um, when we moved to Fairhope, Alabama, when I was three, that's really when my first <clears throat> sort of core memories of church sort of explode on the scene. Mm-hmm. And um, so my, my earliest recollection of church is super sweet. Um, it was rooted in uh, a lot of family life together. It was my family and a, a bunch of other families with young kids. Um, and I just remember that being such a, a um, uh, like pivotal time in my life for understanding that the church was, uh, for me, was a very safe place. It was a very loving place. People were uh, so good to my mom and dad. They were good to me. My dad, of course, was, was his first pastor at coming out of seminary. And what was interesting about those times is is uh, I remember just being formed early with, like, the flannel gram boards. Yeah. And, and hearing the stories of Jesus. You know, uh, we have one of those here. I know, because we were like, we have to. They're, Thanks they're great. But hearing the stories of Jesus. Hearing the stories of Jesus, being uh, in a community that was loving, um, those things were just super essential, mm. uh, I think, to my formation. Um, that church was a place I loved being, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you're tearing up. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and, and, and when you're talking about this, you're talking in particular about 
your experience of church in Fairhope, Alabama, too, right? Like this, sure, I think that was a space that was really near and dear to your heart. Like, sure, that always that always continued on. Yeah, but those first memories are really essential, and even in those days, you know, when Dad's pastoring. Um, this is before my brother came, so it was really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was all downhill after he was born. Sorry, Jordan. He's fantastic. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> but there were, um, yeah, there, there's people there who I have stayed connected with, I mean, now for 43 years. Yeah. 43, 40 years. Um, who are still like saints in the faith to me. Yeah. Because um, they, they poured in. Uh, as much Jesus as they had into me as a young boy in those years. So can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like it was a really beautiful community. Do you feel like that community, that other kids in that community also had a similar experience, or was it unique for you as a pastor's kid? Was that community pouring into the children around in a similar manner, or do you feel like your experience was somewhat uh, distinct from what the other children in that church had? I don't feel like my experience was unique. Yeah. I mean, every, every, I mean, I'm friends with all of them still for the most part to this day. We're just a lot older. Right. Um, we still have those conversations mm. about what we experienced growing up in the church and almost all of them. And this is the thing that I, I come back to time and time again. Almost all of them are still in the church to this day. Mm. Maybe not that church. But they're all still in the church, yeah. and they're all raising their kids into the faith. Thanks be to God. And for me, that is the boy. That's if we don't see that that's the pattern of of faith is yeah. to raise our kids up in the faith. That the church does that together, uh, and that bears fruit for generation to generation. Uh, yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing to me. Yeah, so you're you're describing anecdotally what statistically continues to play itself out time and time again in terms of uh, children remaining in the faith. Mm-hmm. Children who remain in the faith, uh, the studies show, grow up in churches where they are valued, right? Where other adults know their names, where other adults care for them, where there's a sense of holistic community that runs throughout the different age demographics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and there's statistics, like you said, it can be anecdotal. Like there's a statistic that says, you know, and we're kind of getting off track from that, but I think it's important that if, and if people are out there listening, I think this is important is that if a, if a child grows up in a church, uh, right. And, and five adults, you know, greet that child, on a regular basis and know their name. Yeah. That there's like an 80% chance that they'll stay in the church once they leave the church. And I say, okay, that could be just a statistic, but it could be actually a deeper thing that there's just a culture in that church that's just geared that way. And right. that is, so, you know. Well, and I, but I think that's what you're articulating. Yeah, it's like I think so. you, you were known in that space. Oh, which totally. Is really beautiful. Totally. And still known. I go back, I was just there. Uh, Two months ago for a funeral of one of those saints. Mm -hmm. And people still know me. They still love me. Still love them. Yeah. And and to me, that's a a really beautiful image of the church. Yeah. That's how it should be. Because it's an eternal family. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Well, that's really beautiful. And so growing up as a pastor's kid, 
loving church from an early age, did you have a sense that you were going to move into ministry? Was this something that you knew early on? Or when did you feel like in your kind of youth and maturity process that you that you were being called to go to seminary and pursue ministry for a lifetime? Oh, man, that's a really good question. I don't, I can't pinpoint it down. Like a lot of people will have a pinpointed time yeah. where they sensed, like, you know, here's what I want to do with my life. Um, for a long time, I just wanted to coach soccer and, and be a history teacher, right? And, and that was what was, I mean, I played soccer. And, and that was kind of what was modeled for me Yeah. in some ways through my, my coaches. I, I loved that. Um, I loved the sport and I loved teaching history. And so my initial movement was, and that's probably due to the fact that I didn't ever, never left the faith. But there were times in my life where uh, serving God in that way just weren't on my radar. Sure. Right. Even though everybody was telling me this is what I should do, I, I still wanted to do something different. And that, that's the kind of the path I, I kind of went down that path in, in my undergrad and things along those lines. Yeah. It was probably uh, after my undergrad. Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech University, Golden Eagles. Where you played soccer. Yeah. Okay. It was there that I think after leaving Tennessee Tech, um, there were just some life changes in that time frame of my life where I started sensing that God wanted me to go and uh, pursue seminary education for the ministry. At that time, I had no idea I was going to end up here as an Anglican you know, in an Anglican church, I was still in the Church of God, Anderson, at that point in time. And that felt like that was going to be home for me. Yeah. Right. So, but God, I think continually through people, and that's an important part. I think a lot of times we try to discern the call to ministry on our own. And, and I don't know if we can do that well. Right. I'm, Sometimes. I'm, I'm with you, but yeah. elaborate. Yeah, I think. Because there's so many things that, that come into that. A, we have people like me who try to run away from it. And you have B, people who are just like, that's all I'm going to do with my life. But there's this greater like collection of the church yeah. that speaks to us and says, hey, I think this is where you would be called. And for some people who are like running away from ordained ministry, the church can say, hey, I think you may want to really consider this. This is what we see in your life. Yeah. That's a good voice. Some people who are like, it's ministry or death, you know, for me, sure. the church can call and say, hey, you may want to check some of that ambition and, and move it in a different direction, or at least let's have a conversation about that. You know, so I think those are some of those interesting pieces. Um, but for me... Yeah, so, so for you, was there that moment where you felt like the church more broadly spoke to you and you were able to hear it? Uh, and and you needed to then listen. I do. Do you remember that moment? Is it is it stark or is it kind it's of a whole series? It's a whole series of yeah. conversations yeah. that okay. eventually broke me. Yeah. <laughs> and part of that was in seminary. Uh, I became very discouraged in my last year of seminary, uh, and I was like, "Why am I doing this? Mm. I don't feel at home here in this particular movement anymore. I don't. This doesn't make sense to me." Which yeah. we can get into in a little bit. No, I, I want to get into yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. And I 
told my professors, I don't feel at home here. And I had some really good professors who say, who said to me, you may not feel at home here, but like, don't run away from the call of ministry that we see on your life, mm. right? Give it some space and time. Let's just see what happens. Um, and then, you know, even in the Anglican setting, it was this parish that really continued to confirm that call in me before I was ordained, who said to me through numerous conversations, Aaron, we think that you're actually called to be a priest in the Anglican Church. Yeah. And that kept happening over and over again. And so eventually, <clears throat> just by being beat up by the church <laughs> to receive the call of ordination. Did it feel like that? No, no, I know, I'm, you're, I'm joking. I know you're joking, but, but like, no, part of that is true. Part of that is is receiving, is hearing and going, yes, Lord, I'm I'm sort of holding on to an identity piece of not being ordained in ordained ministry, right? And once I let that go, um, I felt a great sense of peace about moving into ordained ministry because it is difficult. I mean, and we could talk about ordination at some point, but like the very nature of ordination is a subsuming of identity. And so to, to what you're saying, like, if you're holding on to your identity outside of ordained ministry, then it does become difficult to transition into a space where your identity shifts almost entirely because you're a priest. Right, right. So there's the other part of that, too, is and this is I had really wonderful role models as parents and as clergy in my life with my dad. But also you're a young man uh, in your 20s and 30s and trying to figure out, do I need to blaze my own trail mm-hmm. in life? If I follow in my, my dad's footsteps, am I just doing something that um, is just what you do as a right? right? Because his dad was a pastor. You know, so there's like this long family tradition. And Was your great-great-grandfather also a pastor or did it start no, with? No, it, okay. it was my grandfather, James Wright. Um and so I think... Also in of, the Church of God? No, Anderson? no, Free Will Baptist. Okay. Uh, in the Appalachia. Sweet. You know, no snakes. Everything's yeah. fine. Um, but there's sure that... It might have been more fine if there was snakes. It would have been something right. else. Anyway. So I think, you know, you, you, you try to figure out who am I. And in those 20s and 30s, you're, you're trying to process, am I just doing something because it feels familiar? Um, or because it's safe or it's what has been modeled for me? And the Lord has to work on your heart in those ways. Mm. Um, and I just sensed through many conversations and through just sort of submitting myself to what I was hearing that, in fact, indeed, yes, I, I, I probably am called to ministry. And so you enter into a discernment process yeah. for that. The other thing, too, is is it doesn't it, it wasn't that I didn't have I didn't have this uh, sense going on in the back. It was always there. Sure. Like that. Aaron, I think you're called into ordained ministry. But you you start transitioning. You, you start trying to transition away from that as you're trying to process what you're hearing. And so I think the Lord, once again, moved me forward through his church, speaking um, speaking through his church to me in, yeah. in that regard. Yeah. Hmm. Does that make sense? Does that help? Yeah, you? no, that makes a lot of sense. I think... It's a helpful thought, too, hopefully, for even some of our listeners who are maybe trying to discern what their future might hold. And I think holding intention, the sense that you may have individually, 
uh, from the Lord and then making sure that it's affirmed by the church as a whole. I think those two things have to come together. I don't know that, to your point where you started earlier, that they can function separately. If the church does not see that you are called to be ordained, then you're probably not called to be ordained. But that really goes against a lot of how we, Mm -hmm. and, and I should put the caveat out there that, well, there are good churches out there and there are bad churches out there. Um, sadly, we have, we have weird uncles and we have uncles that we really admire and look up to and want to be like. Sure. And so I think just holding that intention. And so I think that's a good uh, thought for us to even hear. Um, well, and I think uh, this is where I think we get into a lot of trouble sometimes is, is we don't, we will trust our own intuition over and against that of the church many times. And it's right. really important to listen to that corporate voice. You know, it, it can work both ways. It's like, if you're not sensing a call at all, you know, and everybody's like, you should be ordained. Yeah. Like, well, let's process through that. Right. Right. Or if you are really sensing a call and the church says, no, I think this is where you need to be. It doesn't mean that you go and say, well, I'm going to go find somebody that'll just simply affirm me. Right. That's pretty dangerous. Super dangerous. Um, Unfortunately, so, it happens a lot. It does. And so I think we have to be careful. Uh, we, what we want, and that just takes time. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing. We, we just have two guys at Old North Abbey who are in that process right. who have gone through a parish-level discernment. And I think it's been really helpful for them, and it's been really helpful for the church. Yeah. So there's a sense of trust of, hey, I think we're hearing the same thing here. And that takes prayer. It takes time. It takes the Holy Spirit speaking. Yeah. And so those things, you know, that's part of that call yeah. is it always has to be. Uh, it's, it's a joint. It's right. It's a joint effort. That's right. right. That's it's, right. It's the entirety of the body involved in the process. That's right. And hopefully confirming what you may feel as an individual. Um, and if not, then what does it look like to trust the Lord in the midst sure. of that? So, you, well, yeah. Yeah. And I've, I tell people in that discernment process i said the the last thing you want is to not be called into ordained ministry and become ordained that's right it will it will bury your right soul and it and it happens unfortunately far more often than it ought to (laughs) um and we've seen that we've seen that sadly in the anglican work too in the acna to a large degree because it was a quick growing movement and we needed priests. And I think there was a sense that some people got ordained that maybe should not have. And, and a lot of them have elected their way out because later on they sensed oh, maybe that was a hasty decision. But I think that's really tough. So yeah. enough about that. We could talk about ordination. We could talk, do a whole episode about ordination. You didn't mean to take it in that no, direction? No, 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 no. I took it there. It was, oh, okay. it was my fault. It's your fault. fault. It's my fault. Okay. Um, so here's a question that kind of goes along with all this. We've talked more generally about your experience with church, super positive, and then you had this movement into ordination. But did you, in your youth or growing up, have you had any um, experiences with Jesus that you feel like really drew you to him? Not mm. just to the church more fully, but mm. to christ himself moments where you were like holy smokes god is real and he loves me and i'm his kid you started to tear up even as i asked that question yeah yeah, and i want to be careful um 
about how much I share with that. Sure. Um, yeah, share to whatever degree sure. you feel comfortable. If there were times in my life where uh, I would say Jesus like rescued me. Hmm. Um, and I give him, uh, and, and I give him all the praise hmm. and glory for that. Cause I, I, I really do owe him everything. Amen. Um, people will often ask me like, why are you a Christian? And I'll say, uh, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the greatest story I could ever hope to believe in. And in believing in it, I found him to be faithful. Um, I've never been failed. Um, so personally, there's been things in my life where Christ has rescued me time and time again, um, from myself, uh, from outside forces, from all kinds of things, life that could just not be, um, the way God intended. I mean, I've had, uh, I, 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 I'm always, I'm always hesitant to even talk about this. I've had some what I would consider supernatural experiences in my youth with Jesus um, that uh, that are pretty profound and pretty substantial um, that I, I, I really do. I try to figure out this goes out to, you know, two people, Brenda and Katie, who will right. watch this and, Brenda's heard the story. You've probably heard the story, but I don't really share it that often. But I, I did have a super, very wild supernatural experience with Jesus when I was like nine. We don't have to get into the details, uh, but it was something that sort of changed my outlook uh, on Jesus in life. Yeah. And something that isn't, my faith isn't based on that, but I come back to that experience with him time and time again when things seem to be awry. And the Lord's like, but you know who I am. Yeah. And I go, I know who you are. So uh, yeah, there's been those kinds of experiences in my life um, where Jesus has just simply proved himself to me over and over and over again to be faithful. And that's all I can say in terms of like that. If you want to go deeper or anything along those lines, we can, but that's... No, I don't, I don't want you to... I think, you know, you have shared one of those stories with me, and it is profound, and I think it is hard to always... Uh, not knowing who all is listening, but I think it is always hard to know what does it look like to share those moments when Jesus meets us in these profound ways, mm -hmm. in a way that's actually pastoral and helpful and caring, and I think you've said enough about that. I think... Uh, I love that the Lord has proven himself faithful to you. Um, you said something about story, and this is a big question that I have on my, my little yellow pad here. Yeah. Um, story is a big deal for you. Um, yes. I think story, as I've known you, uh, is probably one of those pieces that comes up in conversation and in uh, preaching and all the different things. Story is a big part of what draws you to the gospel. You just said that Christianity is the most beautiful story that you could ever hope to believe in. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask mm -hmm. how Anglicanism for you fits into the beauty of the gospel story and how you were moved into this space from a space that was not Anglican. Uh, mm. Is it part of how you see the gospel story in the tradition? Mm. Uh, does that question make sense? That's great. Yeah. yeah. 
So Henry VIII, <laughs> kidding. Um, yeah, for, so for me, uh, did you like that? How about Henry VIII into it? That's yeah. what I get. I get. You get that a lot. Like, oh, you're the thing with the whole Henry VIII and the. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, no, that's right. Yeah. Um, We're all about killing our wives to get the wife <laughs> we want. <laughs> that was super intense. That was really intense. That was, uh, shout out to Five and Hoke Coffee. Um, yeah, so I do get Henry VIII. But yeah, anyway, so, yeah. the story. Um, the story of the gospel to me, um, yeah, I think, so I'll back up. I think all of our theology yeah. is actually rooted in story. I don't think it's ideas, and I don't think it's principles. I think those things... So could I ask a question? Sure. What's your favorite systematic theology volume? No, I'm just kidding. Can you keep getting into There's Some of these that, like the ones that are usually on fire. That's <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, uh, even that comes from story. Sure. Um, Hopefully, a good systematic theology volume is all about the story. Right, it has going. to be. So, you know, God, yeah. God enters into real space and time through human beings in history. That is story, and we don't know anything about God outside of how He reveals Himself to us in real time with right. real people in real places. Right. The progressive um, revelation of God yeah, throughout so great. the history of humanity. So, for me, it's difficult to think of. God as, uh, as, as a, a series of principles or ideas or a system with which I navigate the world. It's more like God's done this, and therefore I see this, and therefore this. And th So there's a, a storyline in there. With Anglicanism, it's funny you, you bring that up. I think Anglicanism does a really good job of telling the story of the gospel. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is, is our worship is really... Uh, telling the story of God in the world yeah. uh, and beyond. And uh, so much of our, and I say this uh, not as a, as a knock, but so much of our current Christian worship is not rooted in story. It's, it's rooted in an experience of that particular moment. So it may be rooted in story, but it's all about my story. It can be, yeah. My emotional but connection to what's happening in my life and what God's doing in me right now. Right now, in yeah. the moment. And so I come out of a tradition, love them, uh, but where it was mostly song, you know, like four or five songs, yeah. which is great because theology can be told through music and through song, absolutely. Uh, and we can communicate story through song. But, you know... Uh, it's that, and then a sermon, and then another song, and we're done. No altar call in Church of God, Anderson? Oh, yeah, there can be altar calls. altar calls. There's altar calls in Anglican churches. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. But for me, it began to make sense when I realized that our worship is trying to tell the grand narrative of God uh, and His people, mm -hmm. starting from the very beginning of worship to the very end, and then throughout the week. Yeah. Uh, that the Anglican way of worshiping and drawing people to God is actually drawing them into this ongoing story of God and his people from the past to the present and to the future. Yeah. And so even the Eucharist is a, I mean, is a story. When we, when we get up there, we, we tell a story yeah. uh, around a table where we remember, mm -hmm. right? But then we, we also look to the future, uh, and, and we're also looking to the story going on in the present. So for me, story has always been such an important part. Like I'm probably like a narrative theologian, yeah. if that's a thing. I just, 
You've I, used that term before. I yeah, understand that. the gospel through the story of God in Scripture. You know, um, so a lot of times when people start talking about ideas or principles or use words that can be, I'm just like, well, or know. or or you or you bring us to the story. I think. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be derogatory towards snooty. Yeah, but you're not, you're I, not I just, a snooty guy. I love the story. Well, and I think yeah. uh, that brings me to another point. You are a gospels guy. Like, oh, yeah, I love the gospels. Why do you? What about the gospels do you love so much? What? Because for those of you who don't know, Father Aaron, uh, he pretty much hates the epistles. <laughs> 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 no, he, no, he doesn't. I love but, the epistles. But but you you love preaching the gospels. Uh, sure. You love to teach the gospels, and you do a great job of teaching the gospels uh, over the course of the last several years. You know, you've walked our church through different gospels during our catechesis process, mm-hmm. and people always get a lot out of it because of um, the 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 way that you engage with the gospels. But mm-hmm. what about the gospels? I mean, obviously, it's part of this most beautiful story. I'll let you answer the question. But yeah. what about yeah, the yeah. Gospels really resonates with you? Um, Did you hear that resonance? Uh, it's it's perfect. Well yeah. done. Um, uh, so for me, the Gospel story is, is not simply about uh, just Jesus. It's the whole story of God from the beginning to the end, climaxing probably in Jesus and Pentecost, the sending of the Spirit. Um, cause that's where God became human and we could see him and he demonstrated for us in real time, like as a human, what this actually meant. Sure. And, um, I, my, my salvation is, is wrapped up fully in, in this guy, you know, Jesus, uh, and so when I see a picture, I, I'm I'm looking at the the story of, of redemption for all of humanity, mm. um, and that story to me is so like the epistles. This is interesting. The epistles of Paul are based on this story. Sure. You know they're not just theological ideas. They're they're rooted in this man who came. They're summations. Yeah, and so so I I even read Romans. We've been going through Romans. I read Romans through a sort of a narrative lens of what Paul's trying to get at. Um, Even though he is a a theologian and he's putting down ideas, those ideas are rooted in real history and real time with a real person in a real place. And so for me, the story is just, and I understand story. Like, you know, I come from, here's the other thing too I've thought about this is, is I grew up in a storytelling family. Like, we're just an Appalachian family, and there's literally nothing to do, I think, in Appalachia except to sit around and tell stories. And that's just it's sort of ingrained in my dad, uh, who was a st- great storyteller. Hmm. And so growing up as a kid, it was like the stories were how we communicated truths. You know, we communicated important realities and stories, and we still do this with kids today yeah. or with ourselves. We Jesus told stories to communicate the reality of who he was. And so stories for me are just really easy uh, to get a hold of. Mm. And then you can just dig deeper and deeper into them. You just keep going. Yeah. So you find new realities and truths and stories. Favorite, favorite parable. Mm. 
talking about stories that Jesus told. It may be the Good Samaritan. Yes. I knew you were going to say that. I was yeah. just curious. I, I was like, it's got to be the Good Samaritan. It may be the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> it could be um, probably the Good Samaritan. I think Luke just nails it. Um, the Good Samaritan or, or even the Prodigal Son. Of mm-hmm. course, those are two classics, but there's such a rich, deep theology in those stories that Jesus told that we, for the rest of our lives, we could mine them, yeah, you know, and bring out gems, yeah, you know. So probably those two. And just so our listeners who don't go to Old North have a sense, when you read the Good Samaritan, you read it in the tradition of the church, which would read the Good Samaritan as as Jesus Himself, as Jesus Himself, right? Yeah, who comes to Adam who is the man who is left half dead, moving from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the law and the prophets, the priest, the priest and the Levite are represented as uh, Elijah, John the Baptist and and Moses, or Aaron and Moses, who the law cannot save, uh, but reveals our sin in some ways. And so Jesus becomes the good Samaritan who takes the man, Adam, to the church, the inn, and puts down a deposit, which would be the Holy Spirit, and then promises to return and make things uh, right. That's so, a beautiful way to read that story. I, yeah, I think it is. And it's not about just being nice to somebody. Yeah. And so that's that way that the story, I think, opens us up to see good theology yeah. uh, that we oftentimes miss if we're not attentive to actually the story itself. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so you've been speaking about your journey into ministry and right now even in your engagement with the story and uh, even as I ask you what's your favorite parable, you've moved into a pastoral space of your teaching. You function as a father in the church, right? We call you Father Aaron. You're a priest in the church. You function as a father in the church. You're a father to me in many ways. You're a father to our parishioners. And you're also a father to two kids as a result of being married to Brenna. Mm -hmm. So let's just step back from the ministry space a little bit. And when did you meet Brenna? When did you know that Brenna was the one? Um, (laughs) And how long, so yeah, how long have you all been married? Just give us a a short snapshot. Sure. We met in uh, Kansas. 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 Were you like on horseback? Um, were you traveling across the plains? Were you looking for water? Were you guys dying of thirst? I, right, because there's nothing in Kansas, right? Right. So okay. I was actually there to do a test okay. uh, about would a ball roll down the road in Kansas. That's right. So I put a basketball in the middle of the road and filmed it, and it didn't move anywhere. It didn't move. Yeah, Even it didn't. with the wind. Even with, well, though the wind would Was the only thing that yeah, moved it, it because it's flat as yeah. a pancake. That's right. Dust Bowl. Um, I was supposed to be... I Sorry, was, Brenna. <laughs> I was supposed to be... Uh, the first thing out of seminary was I was going to go to Germany and work uh, in Germany and teach at a uh, like a seminary uh, institute and work with a, a church plant in Berlin. And Church of God Anderson church plant? Yeah. They're sending people to Germany. Oh, there's people all over the place that are Church of God Anderson. 
Wow. I know. Okay. They have a, they have schools all over. So, uh, so that was one of my first things. And so I went to I was in Kansas because I had a, a, a I was able to do an interim pastoral interim for a few months okay. before I was supposed to move to Germany, and I meet Brenna the second week I'm there, and she sort of changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. And I stayed on at that church for two and a half years. I told them I said I I, I think I'm called to be here with this woman. Is and that what you said? Yes. Okay. I did. I said, hey, look, I, I know I was supposed to go there, but uh, uh, the Lord has struck me with a lightning bolt That's um, right. named Brenna. So you had to work for two years to... A two and a half. Two and a half years. Yeah, so... Like Rachel and Leah situation, but just Brenna. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I decided I wanted to, to be faithful to my commitment to the Church of God to work for them because they helped pay for seminary. And so I, I stayed there at that church as an, in a long interim. And Brendan and I, of course, got married while we were in Kansas. And so that was fantastic. And so that's when I knew that she was the one when she said yes at the at the altar. Good answer. Um, good answer. So uh, I knew then we're, we're good. And uh, no, she was she was wonderful. She's uh, she's lovely. So super thankful for her. And then we moved here to help plant Old North Abbey in, in 2010. Uh, we can get into that in a little bit. But you asked about the kids. And so we had kids. Uh, Phoebe was a, a huge surprise. Okay. Um, and so we always say, would we have had kids if we wouldn't have had a surprise on the front end? We weren't even really thinking about it. Well, and was that so, because like in Church of God Anderson, they didn't tell you where kids came from? Or <laughs> sorry. No. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Bad no, jokes. They, they, they did. Uh, no, I think we just weren't at a place in our life where we were even thinking about kids. So how old were you when Phoebe was born? When Phoebe. When Phoebe. Phoebe. When, Phoebe. when Phoebe was born, I was uh, 35. Okay. And yeah. Brenna is... She's 19. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 10 years younger than you? No, she's seven. Seven, seven years and a half. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 35. All right. Mm-hmm. So she was like 28. 28. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so mm-hmm. Phoebe's born. Surprise. Surprise. Um, at that point in time, we are uh, here at, at Old North Abbey, okay. uh, but I'm not ordained. Yeah. Um, I'm working What year was with Phoebe the church. born in? She was born in 2012. 2012. Okay. And so, you know, that that was a, a surprise. And yeah. it was a beautiful surprise. And then um, we have Shepard as well, who came along three years later. And uh, what a gift he is, too. I mean, both of our kids are fantastic. And so we just have two kiddos. They are good kids. They're great kids uh, who look nothing like their father. <laughs> That's not true oh, at all. Oh, did you That's, see that? No, did you bang Yeah, I banged my head. Watch out. The um, Trinity's going to get you. Uh, but uh, yeah, so great kids. We love them. Hmm. They're wonderful. Good. So Good. it is fun. Just a little side note. Sunday mornings early. We make coffee here at the church, but lately it's been my daughter and your daughter in the kitchen making coffee together, mm-hmm. just chatting it up. They're different ages by a little bit, but just fun to have the priest daughters. And then this week, actually, Joanna Gray came early too. So she went right into the kitchen, was hanging out with Joanna Gray's father clint's daughter who's much younger the firstborn has been females yeah for, for all three, all three of us yeah. yeah um and should they should open up their own like law firm right and should corbin move into the priesthood it would the, the that would remain the case it would be sad. so we would like a law firm It'd yeah right hamilton and burnett <laughs> that's right there you go ogle Right, Hamilton, right. Burnett, Burnett, and Ogle. I don't want to jump the gun, Corbin. I don't know what the Lord's doing in your life. But anyway. Um, <clears throat> okay, so kids are born. How long have you all been married now, you and Brenna? A little, a little over 14 years. Okay, a little mm-hmm. over 14 years. Congratulations. Thank you. 
Um, and she's put up with your shenanigans in ministry. Sure. But, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, being a, being a pastor, being a priest yeah. is a lot of work. It you, is. You, shenanigans could be read wrongly. Um, I mean, just in terms of the job that you have to do is with people. And sure. You give a lot of yourself to people. And she's sure. been on board. For the most part, yeah. I mean, what I mean by that is, is I, mean, I have to really work at balancing that out. Um, you know, she said to me, she never really thought she would marry somebody in ministry. Um, and so here we go. And right. um, so part of that is, and a lot of that's also what's been modeled, I think. Mm. This is something we would be really helpful for us to talk about is, I think so many times, uh, pastors' wives, sure, whatever that means, uh, comes with a whole lot of pressure, and uh, I think they can feel like they're under the, the microscope uh, about sort of living a particular kind of life. It, it might it might feel like they were also, and, and in some ways they are, ordained when they weren't. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there's pressure for them to act and behave and be a certain way that maybe isn't actually appropriate. That's right. And Brenda doesn't act that way, which is she great. No, she, yeah. She's fantastic. And, and so she's, we you know, we've always been like, hey, love, you know, you're... You, you, this is your, this is your parish mm. and you love it well. And it loves you well, but you're not responsible for, uh, A, B, C, and D. Yeah. You know, uh, but you know, she's, uh, she's not gotten like any sort of like pastor's wife haircut. Uh, you know, she's still definitely not. No, it's great. <laughs> so, it's so fantastic, but she, you know, she's a, a beautiful part of the parish, but yeah, she volunteers he, and helps and plays that's right. piano. That's right. And, yeah. But yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, so let's let's do this. We've we've kind of circled around this space, but let's jump into the Old North Abbey space Great. and some of the story of Old North Abbey. Uh, for you, moved here in 2010 to mm-hmm. help plant Old North Abbey, which at that point in time, the vision was let's brew beer and live in community together, right? Well, That's in some ways, yeah. From? To be fair, it was uh, it was a, it was a really interesting project. I was making a jest about the beer, but it's I not, think there was beer being brewed. Uh, I think somebody was brewing beer at the That's time. Right. Uh, it was a really interesting project. Yeah, uh, and it had a lot of great momentum behind it. Mm. Um, and I think, like all things, um, sometimes the newness can wear off, you know. But we had, I well, forgot how many. Well, let me ahead. ask you this: yeah. What drew you to it initially? What was the piece okay. of planting Old North Abbey that made you say, I'm in? There's probably several things. One was my internal move towards Anglicanism, okay. which began to happen in seminary. Uh, theologically, I started shifting and changing my theology. Okay. We can get into that if you want to later. Um, also, Knoxville was home for me. I love Knoxville. Um, so being back here has, has been good for my soul. Um, but I also was really beginning to process that call to ministry as well again and fresh and anew uh and and i think all of those things were going on i, I wasn't going to be in the church of god anymore i was having this internal sense of move towards anglicanism um knoxville was where i grew up uh my best friend is is the the rector at apostles anglican and so they had planted old north and him and i have been in conversations for probably a year before that, about the move towards Anglicanism. He had moved from the United Methodist Church into Anglicanism. So all of that was sort of like brewing. And then it was just a really great opportunity. It really was 
uh, a good like picture of, of possibilities mm. uh, about what a, a church could be and things along those lines. And so yeah. we made that move in 2010. Yeah. We arrived here on April 1st, April Fool's Day, which mm-hmm. at that year was either Good Friday or Monday, Thursday. Okay. And so our My dad's f- birthday, by the way, yeah. April oh, Fool's Day. Great. It's um, a terrible day to be born on. Continue. Yeah. People can like throw you a party and then walk out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Toothpaste cake. Ooh, does that happen? Just once. Oh, that's brutal. That's really that's really brutal. <laughs> Toothpaste frosting. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. It's gross. Well, anyway, continue. Teeth were clean. So, um, so yeah, coming back here and starting helping to start Old North Abbey with a great group of people. A lot of them are are uh, uh, in ministry and have done ministry for a long time, and some of them are out of ministry. Uh, one of them sadly passed away last year, um, but it was a really fun experience. It's very exciting. And uh, it was a great opportunity, and like I said, you know, um, it, it just didn't it didn't continue on in the way that it initially started, and it's very different now. But those years were, I think, essential in sort of putting a foundation together of what Old North Abbey uh, could be. Yeah. yeah. So the initial vision was more of an Abbey style of life, like let's do church and live together in close proximity <laughs> and community together and everything along those lines, and. Um, it eventually shifted uh, in some regards, although I would say in many ways that vision is being lived out now in Old North Abbey. Sure. We maybe don't all live in proximity, but I feel like the life that we share together is very rich. Um, in 2000 and, well, I guess when was the shift? When did, when did um, Father Patrick at the time shift gears and when did you step into the role as acting rector. So, so January 14th, the January 1st of 2014. Okay. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And what was that like for you? Well, it was really funny because uh, at the time I was still in the ordination process. Yeah. Um, Were you a deacon? No, you weren't even a deacon yet. No, this is really interesting. And our church at that point in time was not officially Anglican. Okay. Uh, because we were a part of a thing called a Mia originally and a Mia started to, you know, uh, fizzle out or uh, being deconstructed. <laughs> yeah, it was being absorbed into the ACM. Sure. And so at that point in time, we were not a part of, of anything. I, I was in the ordination process. And so January 1st of 2014, we were still meeting at the Boys and Girls Club. And uh, I was not a, I was, I was Anglican. I was in the process, uh, but I was not ordained. And so I remember those funny conversations like, uh, we weren't going to do communion because I was not even a deacon at that point in time. And so, uh, but January 26th of that year, 2014, I became ordained as a deacon. Okay. And so then it was deacon masses at church. And so I would dr- drive in the morning with elements to, um, Brenda was making bread. I would drive in the morning to apostles. A priest would consecrate. I would take it back to Old North Abbey and we would have service. Uh, and it was really lovely. I mean, I love, those are great memories. And then on June 7th of that year, I became a priest. And so my first Sunday was June 8th, which that year would have been Pentecost. So this is 2014. 14. Mm-hmm. So right, right before we came. Right before you came. And you I came September, September 2014. 2014. Okay. okay. So priest, deacon to priest pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Deacon's masses for six months. Mm-hmm. And we became a part of the Anglican Diocese of the South uh, in May, and were brought in in November as uh, at Synod, at Synod. as official. Yeah, okay. sorry. 
Excellent. All right. So church has, I mean, when we visited in 2014 for the first time, church was 35, maybe 40 folks there, mm-hmm. Boys and Girls Club. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Loved it. We'll talk about that and next the time. Interview yeah. with you, yeah. But I think what in the course of the last seven years has surprised you the most about Old North Abbey? Probably two priests talking. (laughs) Um, Gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not surprised by God's faithfulness. Um, That's always a good thing. But I am surprised by God's faithfulness, right? (laughs) Sure. And I mean that like... Unpack it. When we we started, we had uh, in 2014, you know, we we were in eight... When we moved into this building, I think at that point in time, we had been in eight buildings in eight years. We were like a traveling nomadic church. Starting in 2010. Starting in 2010, yeah. yeah. Homes, buildings. Mm -hmm. Keep keep going, Because we got here in 2000. We moved in 2017 into this building. February 19th of 2017 was our first service here in this building. And that was really, at that point, we were at about eight buildings in eight years. Well, it was the fourth building. Since you had been here in 2014. So there was a... I was always surprised by God's faithfulness and then yet not surprised. God's always provided for Old North Abbey. Mm. Um, I think I've been surprised by the amount of people who have found Anglicanism. But I'm not surprised, right, because of my own story. But I, I have been interested in the amount of people who have come to Old North Abbey and have said, this is what I have been looking for. I've been sort of burned out on church or the Christian faith has not made sense. Mm. And that's been really surprising but not surprising mm-hmm. right because of my own story maybe that helps me to relate to people coming out of like quote unquote a lower church setting where they're yeah. looking for something more sacramental or something more intentional uh, with worship and within the life of the church um i've been surprised at how many kids we have yeah i think a lot of kids. in 2014 we had three or four kids in the parish and now we have like a hundred and probably sixty there's a lot of kids. And I mean, even in Thanks the past few weeks, it's like seven, eight, nine new kids through families that are coming that we're just like... Nine pregnancies. We don't know what to... Do. Maybe that's... A, we are a very fertile church. Maybe well, that's the problem the is, the in the same way that the Church of God Anderson hasn't taught the people where babies come from, we, we've not done a good job either. So we really got to get on that. But um, or maybe we have. Maybe we have. Maybe that's, that's right. actually why we have so many children. But maybe maybe they're taking to heart the reality that mm-hmm. discipleship starts in the family and that we need kids yeah. for the sake of the gospel. Amen. So I think uh, I've, I've been surprised by and I've been surprised by God's faithfulness. I haven't been surprised. Mm-hmm. We have wonderful clergy. We have wonderful staff. God has always provided, and yet I'm always like, how. God foresees all of these little pieces that we just never do yeah. because our heads are in the sand all the time. Sure. And um, so God's just been super faithful. Cool. And that's been, I think, the thing that's been the most surprising, but yet not surprising. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me ask two more questions, and then uh, I'll I'll end with a, a final one. But when you... When we interviewed Archbishop Foley a couple weeks ago, we asked him, you know, what he felt like some of the biggest challenges to global Anglicanism are. Um, fortunately for us, we're not engaged quite as seriously with global Anglicanism. Mm-hmm. We could pretend like we are, but we're, 
we're really not, except in our prayer life and some of these other spaces. Mm-hmm. Other than it turns out some people m- maybe in other countries are listening to our podcast. So that's exciting and odd. What is the biggest challenge that you see facing Old North Abbey right now? As, as candidly as you feel like you can sure. speak to that. When you think about church growth as a priest, as a rector at Old North Abbey, what's the challenge on the horizon that you really have your eyes on because it just feels like it's there? Great question. Um, I was even talking to the vestry about this last night. I sort of said, hey, forgive me for being um, misguided over the past few months in the direction. I said, I've, I've really been processing we need to get a new building right and the lord's like that's actually not it hmm. it's not it like we are stretched in this building sure we we're sort of it's bursting full. at the seams and it's, it's good it's just a gift yeah and so we'll start our fifth service on something <laughs> um i think the greatest challenge facing old north abbey um is maintaining or growing um, in our spiritual vitality, in our relationships to one another, with limitations in space, and with a lot of people uh, coming in that are new, mm. and feeling stretched in that way, where we maintain a sense of uh, loving our neighbor well, yeah. because that's what God has, has asked us to do. Um, and that's probably, that could be like a, a rector's, sort of concern because I'm seeing it from a, how do we hold all of this together in light of what I would call some pretty uh, good growth yeah. with limitations. Sure. Um, but that's, but truth be told, that's not rooted in sort of an outward issue. It's rooted in like us maintaining a posture with our hearts right. towards the Lord uh, to remember our neighbor, mm. uh, to in a sense come back to the who is my neighbor question, the Good Samaritan, is sure. to, to really be Jesus uh, to a broken world because we still have people who come in our doors who are broken. We need to come alongside Jesus, pick them up, bring them into the church, give them those things that are good for life. Um, and that's a lot about our posture, uh, that we're not fixated on the difficulties around us yeah. that are just temporal, but to really focus on those inward and eternal um, realities uh, that can only be uh, fixed or can only be truly dealt with if we enter into a life of of prayer and holiness towards God in regards to those things. And I think that'll always be it, right? Anytime we're not thinking, I think, in that way, and we're thinking just temporally, then we're, we're, we're thinking... Uh, poorly about what's actually taking place. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I think, you know, you use the phrase spiritual vitality in the midst of a growing um, church, right? In the midst of new people, in the midst of uh, what most churches really long for. We've never had a conversation about church growth in a staff meeting before. It just, it's one of the things that at the moment, for whatever reason, the Lord sees fit to be doing at Old North. But I think it is a challenge mm-hmm. to remain vitally connected to the Lord and to view our role in church not merely as a receiver 
but oh, as a participant. A participant. Right. Absolutely. And, and that's what I hear yeah. you saying in some ways. It's like, what does it look like for our hearts to be attuned to the reality that church isn't about mere reception, but it's about participation? And and you say this frequently. You quote the you quote the title of an uh, excellent book. Feel free to read it. For the Life of the World by Alexander Schmiemann. You'll frequently say in kind of your welcome to us at Old North Abbey, welcome to Old North Abbey, where we believe we're participating with God for the life of the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it, right? Like, what does it look like to remain vitally connected to Jesus in such a way that we view ourselves as participants in the gospel story for the life of the world? That's a challenge. It is. Whether I mean, your church is small or large. Sure. And there's always there's always a very, there's an, there's an internal and inclusive thing with church. Right. That it does serve the church itself. Yeah. Right? Because it, it's growing us up. It's our mother. But it also is us being aware of what we're called to. Right. That can only happen if we're deeply connected to God uh, through the Holy Spirit and being attentive to what he's calling us to. That's right. So those are some of those pieces. That's going to always be the challenge. And if we're, right. I think, any church that's focused on just the temporal things of how do we do this and how do we do that, well, I always want to bring it back to center. Yeah. You know, I kind of preached about that this right. week. If it's not about Jesus, then we're we're missing the mark right. in terms of, of what's going on. Right. So. Excellent. Um, what are you most excited about right now at Old North Abbey? Uh, probably getting our Dutch doors downstairs in the basement. <laughs> I am excited you about those. You probably are excited about I that. I am excited about those. Um, I, I think what I've, the thing that excites me the most, and there's so many things, uh, there's so many, but I think uh, we're seeing a lot of people come to Old North Abbey, and I, I have to be careful how I phrase this, who have been a little bit burned or have been a little bit worn out by church who were saying, I need, I need sacramental life. Like there's something here that I really need that goes beyond how well we preach on a Sunday. Amen. It, amen. It goes beyond like what our music's like on a Sunday. It goes beyond all of that, which is excellent, which is excellent. It's fantastic. Our preaching's also pretty decent, except for when Aaron and I are in the pulpit. That's right. <laughs> There's something that they're craving that we can't give people based on our own ability. Mm. And that's so exciting. Like, to, at the end of the day, people are coming for something that only God can give them. Yeah. Amen. And I go, thanks be to God. Word and sacrament. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's probably most exciting for me right now. Uh, is just hearing people say, I came and I got something that I hadn't been getting and it had nothing to do with you guys. Uh, it was something that God, God met me here and I go, all right, fantastic. Amen. That, that's super exciting for me. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, we've traveled a good bit. I feel like people probably have a better sense of who you are, but I would be remiss in my duties as an interviewer if I did not briefly ask uh, I'll ask two more questions. First off, um, can you be a Christian and love Tennessee football as much as you do? Once again, <laughs> I don't think you can do one without the other. 
Uh, the answer is yes. Okay. Thanks yes. be to God. Uh, I, was a I, little have, I was a little worried about you. Um, well, let's be honest. When, you, when we first met, we can yeah. get into this. Well, next, next time. But you, you didn't know if I was a Christian or not, which is fantastic. I love that. Well, yeah, I'll share more about that. <laughs> when, you, when you ask me the questions, I'll share more about that. Because it yeah. is. It's like, it's good to know that you love Jesus. <laughs> but so, Tennessee yeah. football, big, you're a big fan. I am a big fan Falls of Falls right around the corner. Right When's around our first game? Uh, September 2nd. September 2nd. So a little over two weeks. Mm -hmm. And you feel good about Tennessee football? I do. Okay. Like, tell me what you're most excited about when it comes to Tennessee football. I'm excited to see what I think will be an improved defense. Okay. I think that's gradually improved every year. I don't think the offense will make too big of a, a stride forward or a, a big step back. Okay. I think we'll actually be more talented, uh, more overall talented on the offensive side of the ball this year. Okay. Um, even though there's a little bit of experience that will need to be like playing time. But our first two games, uh, will I think, let that team gel, that offensive rhythm gel. Uh, and I think before our big showdown with Florida at the Swamp. Is that the third game of the season? The third game of the season. Okay. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be September the uh, 16th. Okay. Um, go balls. Yep. And then after that, uh, we go into a little bit of a homestand, and uh, it'll be good. So we'll have – yeah. So I, I feel really good about the season. Since, since I have you on uh, record here, both video and audio – would you go out on a limb and venture uh, win-loss prediction for the season? Sure. Um, I think we will be probably around 10-2. and two. Okay. Um, if everything goes uh, really well, 11-1. Uh, and one. Okay. If everything goes really well and the ball bounces our ways, which every team needs every year, uh, yeah, I could see us going 12-0, and 0, but that would be highly – Unlikely, considering okay. our schedule. Highly unlikely. Nine and three, ten and two, uh, eleven and one, possibly. Okay. Um, I will say this: I think we still beat one of the two big teams, Bama or Georgia. I think we'll we'll win one of those games. If we're a one-loss team, who do we lose to? Uh, I think it'll be more difficult to beat Bama okay. at their place uh, than to beat Georgia here. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing those insights. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I'm just doing my due diligence. Whenever I ask Father Aaron these questions, I'm just uh, buffing up on my vocabulary so that when people talk to me about volunteer football, I have something to say. And so when I'll ask you, tell me about Colorado State football. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Proud to be a CSU Ram. Um, is, that, is that the thing? I think it was the thing, yeah. You Rams. don't even remember your own school? I went to one and a half football games during my undergraduate you, career. Do you remember who? Don't remember. You all. guys were actually decent there for like a stretch. You you beat the Buffs several years and half a minute. You know, it was really fun. You had a good quarterback there for. Oh yeah, he went in the NFL. Yeah. I can't remember his name either. Yeah, most people don't. That's right. That's right. He didn't do great. Um, okay, last question. Sure. Tailwater or mountain stream? Which do you rather fish? Oh man. You'd rather be in the Smokies catching small brookies or in tailwater catching rainbows? Or browns. Or browns if you're having a good day. I think the Smokies, man. Yeah? I think the Smokies. I think there's just something. I mean, barring all the rhododendron you have to dodge, there's something about being in the Smokies that is just, it's a whole other planet. Yeah. And uh, the beauty of like being able to look up the stream and just see... When I was there a couple of weeks ago, like just the moss and the sun coming through, the moss on the rocks and the sun coming through and the wind, 
the sound of the river and just your your just time just goes it's like doesn't even exist yeah um transported it's an old mountain range don't do you do that too when you're talking about fly fishing you bring your hand up like this and you're like and you're just i think i think it's uh people who fly fish and people who sword fight those are the two people who are constantly doing this that sort of that's right fencing yeah i think i think the smokies would be my top all right fair enough Mm. well uh thanks for uh answering my questions uh was there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel like listeners of two priests talking ought to know about you um i would like to give a plug very quickly for why i'm anglican can i do that please time wise um because this my my own personal story of coming out of where i came from into anglicanism uh i think is we've touched on it a little bit yeah but uh one of the reasons i decided to become anglican was because i began to see that worship of god was essential to spiritual formation um and that in an anglican setting or a liturgical setting i'll say that um the things that we say are important in the Christian life are actually practiced together on a Sunday when we all gather. In the worship life of the church. That's right. So if we say like prayer is important, if we say reading scripture is important, like eating together is important, confessing our sins is important, if all of those things are important for our spiritual life mm-hmm. and vitality as Christians privately, then they ought to be practiced together when we gather on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that was a shift I made from mostly just singing and hearing a sermon to actually stepping into the practice of my faith together with other believers. Right. Let's the, participate in this together. That's right. Yeah. The other thing is Jesus gave us a sacramental life. Mm-hmm. Amen. He gave us communion and he gave us baptism as ways of experiencing him more deeply. And that's the other reason I'm Anglican. This is my plug. Uh, because we're not just word-centric people, right? We have to participate in tangible ways in the faith. Yeah. Or I don't know if it's uh, incarnational as Jesus is, is incarnational. Jesus said, I have to move into their world, yeah. become them, and take up their things. Yeah. And so we do the same in order to participate in that great mystery of the incarnation. That's right. And then thirdly, authority. And I, 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 look, not that I have it, but that I'm under it. Right. And so I, I really wanted to be under good authority mm-hmm. in the church and be able to submit myself uh, to a church structure and to bishops and priests and, de- and all of that so that, like, I'm protected right. from just uh, autonomous do-what-you-want-to-do you're protected from your own whims and the whims of others. That's right. Yeah. And, and and the liturgy is there to also protect the people from... The liturgy functions as a form of authority. Correct. Whereby we don't just go and do what we want to do. We have to submit ourselves to something. That's right. And so, you know, part of the Christian life is, is submission. Mm-hmm. It's demonstrated by Jesus as he submits his life to the Father. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so we get to participate in that way. And I think that's just beautiful. Yeah. So that's my little plug there at the end Excellent. to say, hey, Thank you. those are things I think that are really important 
uh, as to why I became Anglican. If I get asked that question a lot. Yeah. And that's my typical three-pronged response. Excellent. Yeah. Those, those are excellent reasons to be Anglican. Sure. And uh, for any of you who are curious in the Knoxville area, come on out. Come visit Old North Abbey or Apostles. Love to have you at either space. Good churches. Uh, and I would say for those of you listeners who are far away, um, who've enjoyed this podcast or hearing Father Aaron and I kind of ramble on, uh, pray for us. We need your prayers. And we don't know your name specifically, but uh, we pray for our listeners too. I think pray for us, especially as the Lord continues to do good things in his church. And um, we would covet those prayers. Absolutely. Uh, like, subscribe, do all the things. We're going to put a few podcasts out here in a couple of weeks and uh, watch those as well. And Father Aaron, would you send us out with a blessing? Sure, would love to. Since you're the one wearing a collar today. I don't know if that matters, but I will. Yeah. Authority is important. <laughs> yes. So receive this blessing, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much. Hey, it was really fun. Were you going to shake my hand just then? I'd like to shake yeah, your hand. Shake our hands. Blessings. Hey, see you, buddy.